0: Welcome back to the Clemson Dubcast. It's been a while. A couple of weeks, I guess. Thursday, February 3rd, the second signing day of 2022 behind us. If you want great background and insight and intel on who the Tigers got, who they didn't get, Paul Strilo is your guy, as always, at TigerIllustrated.com. Man, he never ceases to amaze at all the bases he's able to cover in further cementing himself as the authority One or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M, law.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson Market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Celero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading edge technology. Celero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Celero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing you your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, tough conversation here, uh, but a very necessary one in a public service sort of vein with David Shelton, longtime sports writer at the Charleston Post and Courier has lost two of his children, two boys, to opioid addiction, both at age 26. The most recent, Justin, just three weeks ago. The father's mission is to spread awareness and hopefully save a life or two along the way. All right, here we go. Okay, joined by David Shelton of the Charleston Post and Courier, also, a, a, I guess, a youth travel baseball coach. Is that right? Uh, well, I, I volunteer as, a, as an
1: assistant coach at King Bay High School. Um, I, so I, I've been doing that for, I've been coaching baseball for many, many years. Uh, more, more as a, just a way to give back to kids and as a hobby. I don't get paid to do it. I never ask for money, don't want money. Um, but I did travel ball back in the day. But uh, as my kids got older and got into high school, I, I, I began working with the high schools.
0: And this is kind of weird. I, I used to work at the posting courier. Worked there for five years. I knew you're byline, uh, but I don't think we we ever actually met. Partly because I lived up here, and was rarely uh, down there. And I'm guessing you're rarely in the newsroom either, right?
1: No, not especially now. Uh, we, we do we do everything from home, just like everybody else. Uh, I haven't uh, I haven't been inside the posting courier building for. Several years, so uh, which is good. I mean, I like, I like working at home and, and, and working on the road and doing things like that, so it's fun.
0: How far back does your newspaper involvement go? Uh,
1: pretty much uh, in college, I was at Baptist College of Charleston and was the editor of the, of the school newspaper there, and then went straight into uh, a startup, the High School Sports Report. Uh, started back in like 1987, 88 and, uh, became a staff writer there. And, uh, and then eventually, uh, was the associate editor for quite a while. And then, uh, 2000, I bolted out of the newspaper business like a lot of us do (laughs) and, uh, went, went into sports administration at Charleston Southern as their media relations director, um, you know, change of pace, something different. Uh, did that for about six and a half, seven years, and uh, and then I had to get out of that. The college athletics was uh, that's an animal of a different of a different level, and uh, you know, so I got out of that and uh, went back into sports writing. And uh, at somewhere along that way, I was kind of stringing for the posting career and then Phil Bowman, who was the prep guy, uh, got out of it and. Uh, I stepped in to replace him to do the, the full time preps, and and I and I'm the beat writer, so to speak, for for Charleston Southern as well for the Post Courier. So uh, that's where that's where my heart was. I mean, I, I tried that college thing, and it was kind of cool, uh, getting to travel around with teams and and go into places like Notre Dame and Michigan and and with different teams. But uh, it 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 got a little hectic and got a little old pretty quick. So. Uh, writing is what I like to do, and that, that's what I think, uh, that's my gift. I think that's what, you know, God planned for me to be all along. But, you know, you tried it, and, uh, and and so I just wanted to go back into writing. So that's what I've been doing since.
0: Just curious, what specific parts of working in college athletics were a different animal, and what parts sort of of it got old?
1: Well, I, I think the the lack of help at Charleston Southern at the time, uh, it was me and one other guy and we had, uh, 18 varsity sports. Uh, a lot of the coaches expected you to travel with them on the road, uh, especially the, the, the big sports like, uh, football and baseball. So, you know, it was, it was four or five road trips, uh, during football season. And then about 10 or 12, 14 road trips during basketball. And you do that over a number of years. Um, and you still have to get all your work done and do media guides and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, they sense of adding some personnel, uh, college athletics, as you well know, has changed quite a bit with the video streaming and the, you know, ESPN plus and all that kind of stuff. It, it was just starting to get to that point when I left and I really didn't want to deal with it. Uh, I just, with, with, with the limited staff, I just thought, you know, I'm overworked now. Uh, it's one of those deals where you, you know, you you enjoy the work, but you're working a lot. I mean, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks, and you do that over a period of time. It just got, uh, I love the people. I love the coaches. You know, I love the sporting events, obviously, but just a lot of stuff, a lot of a lot of bus rides and, and trying to, you know, write, you know, be on a basketball bus ride and try to write the baseball media guide on a bus. Uh, you know, you do that once and you're like okay i never want to do it again and before you know what you're doing it again then you're doing softball Then you're doing you know the track coaches want their results posted on the website oh by the way we're gonna build a new website we need you to help <laughs> with that <laughs> so it, it it just you know it, uh, granted i can do the job now i think because i like at charleston southern right now they've got like five people um but but back then it was me and another guy and some and some college work-study students who really didn't want to be there. They just needed the money and, uh, and didn't know much about sports and didn't really care. Um, so you don't have that, you know, it's just a small school. You know, it's not like at a Clemson or, or, you know, a big ACC or SEC school where you have dozens of people that can help you. It was very limited and it, and it just, uh, I wasn't getting any younger. And the stress was starting to get to me, so <laughs> I took the easy way out. I just said, you know, guys, y'all, y'all can have this. I I loved working there. I loved the school. I loved the people there, but the work was really tough.
0: You mentioned like the advent of streaming and all that. I I, I don't really know much about what the who's responsible for that. Like at a small school, like for a, like streaming at an event. That, so the athletic department is responsible for setting up all the cameras and all the technical parts? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, actually, my, my son uh, works as uh, works in the truck uh, as kind of a graphics producer and then he's one camera. But yeah, they have, uh, they have three cameras. There's cords all over the place. They have a truck parked outside that, you know, there's like a control room. Um, yeah, so there's probably three people in there. So I would guess... They probably takes, uh, eight to 10 people, um, to run that, to do that whole thing. You know, you, they, they got to run cords and cameras and, and power and all that kind of stuff. So, um, that was just, they have a guy, they have an assistant director of media relations who that's his job. Uh, he runs that whole area, um, You know, like I said, when I when it was starting to come in, and I was there, I was like, "Wait a minute, I I don't know anything about this." I'm like you; I was just like, "I just want to write a game story." (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't want to do all this, and um, you know, but there's a lot of cameras involved. There's a lot of expense. I I know the initial outlay was when they started it was you know like 25 grand to get all the some of the equipment, and now they've got a, a little. Trailer type truck. They park outside the gym or outside the football stadium. That kind of runs everything. It's it's like a, I mean, you know, it's like a TV production, but uh, just on a lower scale. But it it does require some people and some uh, and some funds for sure.
0: It's interesting. I've told people who are curious about my profession and sort of what it's like. You know, that of course some there are plenty of hard parts to it uh, some parts that feel like work but there are a lot of elements to it that don't feel like work and it seems like with your job at Charleston Southern it felt like, a lot of it felt like work whereas when you're a preps writer um, you know on, on a particular day you just have to focus on that game and you go to a game and of course you know you 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 follow it closely and then do some interviews and then you write your story and you, you feel kind of fulfilled after walking away from the stadium. And I, I know that's the way it is with me and others. Is that pretty much nail it sort of the essence of it for you as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. The, the, the uh, I love going to sporting events. I love covering, you know, high school football and high school basketball and, and track and stuff like that. I, that, that's what, you know, when, when, like I, I tell people all the time, I, I feel guilty that I get paid to do what I do. Uh, I'm glad I get paid because I have bills to pay. But you know, you you know, I've never, I have never paid to see a sporting event in 32 years. Um, You know, even when I was at the at the college, you know, I, I, you know, obviously went for free, uh, traveled around for free, didn't spend a lot of my money, anything like that. But even now, uh, you know, I look forward to Friday nights. I look forward to my pregame meal. I, I pick a restaurant near a high school that I'm going to cover <laughs> that maybe I haven't tried, and uh, it's like a, it's like you know, again, it's like man, I'm getting I'm getting paid to go to this game and watch these kids play, and uh, and it, it is a lot of satisfaction. I mean, I I know uh, you felt this before, you know, when you hit send in that email and it's done, you just feel. You feel like you accomplished something, you know. And it it's not we're not, you know, curing the world's ills or uh we're just playing a game story on a high school football game or whatever, but it does feel satisfying and gratifying until you get the email the next morning that you misspelled the <laughs> Johnny's last name. <laughs> <laughs> then you're like, Why am I doing this? But uh I don't get a lot of those, but you know, um, you know, but I do get a few, you know, and, and I know you know Malcolm DeWitt the the, the sports yeah. editor, you know, he'll get an email and forward it to me. And, and uh, and then, the, and then the email he'll, he'll say, Hey, I just thought you wanted to know this chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. <laughs>
0: and
1: I was like, Oh wow. I left out an L and this kid's last name, man, I'm just terrible. But, uh, you know, with the way deadlines are now with the newspapers, uh, you know, at the post and career, we have, you'd love this, a, a nine forty deadline, and you know football games are getting over like it. Wow! Uh, but during football season, they football season they give us till like uh, eleven. But right now, we're we're at nine forty. Um, and you know you go to a high school basketball game if it goes overtime, uh, it's you know. Fortunately, we have the web, you know, and I'll I'll, I'll email them to say, hey, you're not getting this for print, but you know, put it on the web because this game's lasting forever. And um, but it is it's a little stressful, man, but. You know, I mean, what's life without a little bit of stress, you
0: know? It's crazy you talk about that deadline, pressure, and then just the sort of chaos of a post-game, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and you're doing interviews, or you cover a great game, and then you go back and you write your article. I mean, one instance that stands out to me is, after the Clemson won the national championship in Tampa, in the 16th season, and obviously total madness at the, with the way that game ended, and, you know, you're just not used to writing about a national championship, certainly not used to writing about a national championship won with one second left when a, you know, a, a, a superstar throws it to a former walk-on, and then you're, you know, you spend an hour and a half you know, collecting scenes and Things from the locker room and all that, until so you sit down and write. But then you so you fit, and while you're writing, it's not like you're like, "Oh, this is a masterpiece," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 well, at least in my perspective, when I hit send, I'm like, "Did what I just wrote? Does that make any sense? <laughs> like, right, I have no right, idea right. what I just wrote." And then it, maybe it's good. I don't know. And then uh on, I was on the way. I was taking the bus. The press, the media, shuttled back to the hotel. I guess about a half hour later. And I guess this is the benefit of working for a website because the story was already up, as opposed to newspapers that have a bit more constraints. But I got a text from a good friend who said they were all in their tailgate, Clemson fans, obviously, and they were they had read my article and it made them cry. And I'm like, wow, I guess it I, I guess it was pretty good. I don't... <laughs> and so it's it's just such a strange. Craft, I guess like you where you don't even know if what you just did was any good until you kind of are able to sit back and, and, and hear from other people or actually read it when you're not uh, faced with all the crazy stress of a deadline.
1: Yeah. And you go back and you, you, you know, the, the, the one thing I've done is I've read back stories, you know, the next day in the paper on the web and go, Man, I should have put this in. Or I forgot yeah. to put this. In. Oh, yeah. There's so much stuff that you left out,
0: Absolutely. because
1: you're trying to get it in in time. And and you know, then you're kind of like with the, with the high school thing. I do a prep notebook every Wednesday. So if I leave out something really important, I kind of cover it in my notebook. You know, kind of a you know, oh by the way, you know, last Friday night, you know, this guy did this or whatever. Um, but but I. I it, it sometimes it is very frustrating to read what you wrote, you know, a day later and all the stuff comes back <laughs> like, I can't believe I did that or I missed that or whatever. Uh, and, you know, but, I, I, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for 30 something years and, uh, you know, now I try not to stress over that kind of stuff anymore. I just feel like, okay, well, I screwed that up, you know what it's like without a couple of screw
0: ups along the way what I, what I love about it is you're never a finished product you're always trying to get better you're always making mistakes um which is good it gets still it, it keeps you humble and and and, uh, and and keeps you with a with a with a purpose um so the high school sports report the late 80s obviously the coverage of recruiting is uh vastly different uh than it was Back then, I'm just curious for you know, with with you having been sort of in the middle of it, of all the, the, I guess, the evolution of it. What are what are some of your observations on on how it's changed over the last decades? With, you know, I guess back in the '80s, it was high school sports report, then uh, Phil it on the radio with his. Recruiting dispatches, and and then the the internet kind of took over in the late nineties, early two thousands, and and uh, just curious for your insight.
1: Well, it was it was I, I said this uh, I said this on a on a, a radio show back in the December signing period. How much I hate recruiting now. Like I used to, I used to, uh, you know, back in the eighties and or, or in the nineties, like like you said before internet and, you know, kids, you just, you didn't have announcements. You didn't have, Hey, these are my, these are my five, the tweets that said, these are my final 20. And, you know, I'm going to choose between these 20 schools and you didn't have updates every day from, from kids. You had to really dig for the information. Like you had to know people, you know, you had to have a high school coach, you know, like, uh, I always go back to the Steve Davis recruiting back when he was at Spartanburg and, um, you know, I had a coach there that I could get little tidbits from, but we didn't have anything we could do with the information. Cause it wasn't, like I said, no, it was pre-internet kind of stuff. So you knew all this stuff was going on, but you, you didn't really have, you know, you didn't really have nowhere to put it. Uh, there was a lot of secrets and there was a lot of backdoor back channel stuff. Uh, now it's so wide open and it's just, there's no suspense anymore. I mean, there'll be a player here or there. I'm sure, you know, Clemson or South Carolina, somebody's waiting on a guy today or, or in December. But but back then, recruiting went all the way up to today. You know, today was like a huge day. And, you know, I'm just looking at a list of, of signees right here in the Charleston area, and there are no Power 5 signees in Charleston today. There's, there's 30-something kids that signed football Letters of intent, and you know they're all going to very small schools. It's it's not um, because now the the big time prospects they sign in December. You know, I'm not a big fan of that early sign. I understand why you have it, but from my perspective, in my position, in my job, I don't like it because I love the drama. league I mean, January used to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Back like you talk about the days of Phil Cornwell. Phil and I are very close friends. We would talk every day, sometimes in the middle of the night. Did you just hear this? Did you just hear this? You know, and and I even did a recruiting show with Phil on Sunday nights back in the 90s where we talked for an hour about recruiting. And I remember Bill King in Nashville had his big recruiting show, you know, on Sunday nights. There was so much drama and so much unknown. And now it's just kind of like, you know, there's no drama I mean what's I mean there might be one kid today that everybody's really focused on back back in the 90s it was like the entire signing class you just you just couldn't wait to hear where this kid was going where this kid was going um so the the internet and the and the websites and the you know the, you know all the recruiting people doing it now it just kind of takes the, you know the fun out of it I guess and, and maybe I'm just old. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> but that, that's okay. Um, I still read them and, you know, I still kind of keep up with it, but I just miss the the drama of, okay, Steve Davis is going to sign at two o'clock and is he going to be Auburn, Clemson or Georgia? And there's so many, so many factors involved and, and, you know, coaches hiding in the bushes to see who <laughs> the other coaches are coming up the driveway. And, you know, it's just, uh um, you know I, I I tell a story one time I, I knew a coach it was a young assistant coach who is now an older coach but uh, at a particular high school that would just he'd tell me he would call me with every again we're talking home phones now we didn't have cell phones couldn't send text messages but he would call me every time a, a college coach would come into the school or would 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 go to this kid's house for a visit and you know I mean it was just kind of Everything was, it was just different. You know, everything's out there now. You get, you get kids posting pictures on their Twitter or Instagram with the college coaches in the house, you know? So there's no drama. Oh, well, really? Dabo Sweeney was there today because there is a picture with, you know, with John Doe, uh, but back in the nineties, we didn't, we didn't have any of that stuff. So it was all, it was very dramatic. Signing day was a huge thing and I, I'm not trying to take it away from these kids that did sign today. It is huge for their families and, you know, we cover it and I cover it. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy for these kids. It's just from the, the entire picture is just totally different now than it was, you know, really, I guess it's been 25 years or so.
0: There is some drama. Clemson has three guys today that uh, they went into today with, you know, three big fish they were uncertain about. And then, uh, I guess four years ago, Justin Ross pulled off a shocker oh, right. by, uh, yeah. by by casting his lot with Clemson. But you're right; it's nowhere near the magnitude or, or I guess the the volume uh, of it. Uh, okay so the, the, the ultimate reason I connected with you um, and, and sad to say this is the occasion but but you, you have lost both two signs um, to opioid addiction you had a uh, you're very courageous uh, in in publicizing it sharing the story you want to uh, to spread awareness uh, about how awful uh of of the thing that it is how prevalent it is and and your hope is that if you could just save one person's life you know turn one person around uh then it'll be it'll be worth all this public disclosure so i guess if you wouldn't mind just sort of sort of enlightening uh those who don't know i guess justin uh you lost him was that in january
1: yeah a couple uh uh, three weeks ago today as a matter of fact it was january 11th and uh Uh, yeah, he was, uh, both my sons, Ryan was, Ryan died in, uh, 2015, uh, at age 26 and Justin died uh, a couple of weeks ago at age 26. So, you know, I have four children and two of them are doing great and I have two grandchildren and you know, all those, you know, they're, they're fine, but I had two sons, my oldest and my youngest that, that, uh didn't deal with life very well, didn't, didn't do, uh, didn't handle adversity well and, uh, turn to drugs. Um, you know, at first, you know, the marijuana, like I, I, you know, gosh, 90% of the world probably tries marijuana at some point. Um, I never did, but, uh, but, uh, you know, they just, they just, uh, struggled with, with their life, and and, and in Justin's case, who was the most recent, uh, both of them were very good baseball players, very good athletes. Um, uh, Ryan, the oldest, kind of got out of athletics a lot younger. Uh, Justin actually went all the way through high school as a baseball player, a pitcher and an outfielder, and uh, really athletic, Uh, you know, could run, could throw. Uh, Pretty good hitter, not a great hitter. Pitching was his. Was his strength? I mean, he could pitch. Uh, had a, had an unbelievable changeup for a high school kid that he really loved throwing. Kind of kind of watched Greg Maddox video a lot. You know, uh, by the time he came on, Greg Maddox was pretty much done. But uh, would watch how Greg Maddox would pitch and try to emulate him. And I'm like, hey, don't try to be Greg Maddox because there's only one Greg Maddox. But um, but his his. Uh, his problems began when high school ended and his brother died kind of not right at the same time, but very, very in the same year, uh, he lost his older brother and, um, then high school baseball was gone and, you know, he wanted to, you know, I hate to say this. He, he was a good student, but he, but he did not like school. Um, he didn't like, he didn't like going to class every day. He didn't just didn't like school. And, uh, he loved playing baseball and he loved his teammates and, you know, he kind of went to school so he could play baseball. Um, and then after high school, his brother died and he was going to go to a, a, a junior college and try to pitch a little bit and just didn't just, just said, you know, dad, I don't, I don't want to do classes. I don't, I said, well, son, you, you got to go to class and if you want to pitch like that's the rules, you can't just, you know, it's not, it's not a men's league, um, and so he, he just, uh, he got out of baseball, he lost touch with his teammates, um, uh, and then slowly just deteriorated, went from, uh, marijuana use, uh, and then honestly, I, I don't know everything he did because he became an adult and kind of started doing things, you know, that he didn't have to tell me and I didn't have to approve. And, uh, but he, but he became addicted to heroin and, uh. And then, like I, I've told people, the last year, basically since COVID, last two years, I guess, uh, he, he just went totally downhill. He went from a, you know, 170-pound athletic, strong kid to uh, the day he died, which weighed 100 pounds and uh, uh, didn't didn't look like the same kid. Uh, I was in contact with him daily. Uh, he lived with me growing up. Uh, we were divorced, uh, his mother and I were divorced, but he pretty much was, uh, was with me most of his life, even up, up until the last couple of weeks of his, uh, of his life. Uh, you know, I saw him every single day and watched him deteriorate and, and spent so many times, you know, crying and and begging him to please, let's do something with this. And, and. You know, he, his, his comment was, I got this, I got this, I got this. Don't worry about me. You know, I went through some health issues. I'm a diabetic and had some kidney issues. And he's like, you know, you focus on you and and I'll be okay. And uh, but, but he wasn't okay and he wouldn't get help. And uh, finally, uh, three weeks ago, he was found in the restaurant bathroom with a, uh, just, you know, had passed away in, in a stall in the bathroom. He got high. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that that was the end.
0: Do you have any, I guess with Ryan as well, yeah. um, do you have any feel for how long they, they were, they were on heroin?
1: Well, Ryan was, Ryan was, uh, was a pill taker. He was, he was, uh, he was the oxycotton um, Opana, um, uh, he wasn't really. A, he didn't do heroin. I think he might have done coke. Um, Ryan Ryan was Ryan was different in terms of drug use. I, you know, he was probably sixteen. Um, you know, we 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 got he got in a little bit of trouble, and we um, basically thought we were being tough love, and we sent him off to juvenile detention, and he spent several months there. Uh, came out was good, but. Uh, And they're both, and the thing is, you know, uh, there's this perception of, of drug addicts are just horrible people and they're not, they're, my boys were great boys. Like they were very loving to their parents and their family, but they had an addiction. They were, they were horrible drug addicts, but they were not horrible people. And, um, you know, Ryan, the oldest, I mean, he just, Justin worshiped him. Uh, because he was the oldest brother and, um, and I, I, think with Justin's drug use began, you know, maybe, like I said, I think, I think he started smoking weed a little bit in high school, uh, you know, at his memorial service, a lot of his former teammates were there and they came up to me and they said, you know, I, I feel bad. I have to say this, but you know, Ryan would get high with me and do this. And, 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 you know, I don't blame those kids. They didn't turn into drug addicts. Um, my son went gradually into his early 20s, you know, recreational use, I think. And, then, and and the thing that people don't understand about heroin is it is highly, highly addictive. It is, you don't, very few people come out of heroin addiction and never go back. 74% that I read online, 74% of heroin are opioid abusers. Uh, after rehab, go back. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's just, just it, it it attacks your mind, you become dependent on it, then it attacks your body, and your body starts to break down, and then it attacks your soul. And when it gets to your soul, it's over. I mean, you can't, I mean, Justin always told me, I don't want to be a heroin addict, but I can't get off it, because the withdrawal from heroin is like anything like he's like, dad, you don't understand the pain, the sickness. And, and basically that's where I call him very weak. I was like, I would tell him, I was like, Justin, everybody goes through pain, you know? I mean, you know, everybody goes through uh, sickness and illness. And I mean, we're in a pandemic, people are dying from that. You got to fight this. And he just did not have the will. Um, and, you know, I hate to say this about a kid that I love so much, but it is, it's very weak. Uh, you know, uh, I, I tried to use my personal health experiences and say, listen, you know, I just had biopsies on my kidneys. I, I'm, I feel like I might have kidney cancer. I may die, but I'm not going to I'm going to fight this thing. I'm not going to, you know, just give up. And um, and but he just did not have that attitude. It was very even when he pitched, if he's throwing great and getting people out, he was super duper. When a guy gave gave up a home run and he'd lose his mind. And, you know, it was just, uh, he didn't handle adversity well. And that eventually that's what led to, you know, to his demise. And, And what I try to tell kids and parents now is we've got to let these children know that, that we are there, that we love them, that we will help them. They don't have to fight this alone. And I think Justin felt like he didn't want to bring everybody with him so he wanted to fight it alone and that was just that was just not the right way to do it and that's not how we wanted it uh, but he did a lot of bad things you know in the last couple of years he stole from me he stole from his family you know he he would he needed money so bad because he couldn't keep a job uh he lost several jobs because he stole money uh, out of the register uh you know at a wherever he worked at a restaurant or whatever and uh it became, it became, it consumed him. That's why I say it just consumes your soul and you can't, you can't get away from it. And uh, I don't want other kids to think that, you know, first of all, we, we got to prevent them from starting. But if they start and kids are going to try things and we know that, we're not, we're not ignorant to the fact that kids are going to be kids and teenagers, the pressures of, of life, but we got to be there and catch that thing early, um, because it, it it is not. I would not wish Larry. I would not wish this pain on my worst enemy. Not that I have any enemies that I know of, but if I had an enemy, I would not. I would not wish. I hope your kid dies in a drug overdose. I hope your kid dies before you do. That is the most. It's the it's the most awful feeling in the world. I mean, I've lost a mother, a father, a brother. A brother just died in in October. Uh, I've lost family members, I've lost friends. There's no pain even close to losing a child. It's not the way we're supposed to go. We're supposed to go first, and they can grieve for us, but then they get to continue living. Now, I've lost two sons who never really got a chance to live, but I gotta keep on going. I got to keep living and you know, i i I'll be 56 in April. And you know, I, the, the, death of Justin has, has, has brought me around to the fact that, that until I die, I'm going to, I'm going to give this message. I'm going to, if I can, like I said, if I can just help one kid understand, you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's funny. I was talking to a coach the other day and I said, he wants me to come and speak to his football program, his football team. And I said, you know, there'll be 60 kids in there and 50 of them will walk out of there like, okay, another guy that talks mm-hmm. about drugs, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if one of those other 10 comes back and says, you know what, what he said makes sense. And, and you know, maybe he was not doing drugs or maybe he was thinking about doing drugs or, you know... Uh, Maybe he's having trouble at home or in school with a girlfriend or with his team or whatever. But if I can just affect that that one mind and make him understand that, you know, you love your parents, you will not put your parents through the pain that I'm in. If you truly say, I love my mom and my dad, and I have an ex-wife, the mother of those two boys, and she is very different from me. She can't talk about it, but she's very, she's been through a, a hard time and and just seeing the pain you know that that she has gone through you know if you if you're a high school football athlete or if you're just a normal kid you're in in the band or whatever you love your parents you won't put them you won't get in a situation where you have to put them in this situation because it is the most pain you will ever experience in your life and and you know, hopefully that message will get to kids and we will get to them and say, you know what, mom, I love you. I will never do anything to, to jeopardize that. And some things we can't control, you know, we can't control car accidents. We can't control, uh, you know, bad thing, you know, cancer or whatever, but we have control over drugs. We make that choice. We have a decision making process in our brain and not all of our brains work the same. My son's decision-making processes were far different than mine, um, but and it ended up taking their life. And I just have to try to do what I can do to to get through. If I can just get through, and you know, I keep a picture on my phone. This sounds probably morbid, but I have a picture on my phone of my son Justin on a gurney. Covered up to his neck because his body was ravaged, but I had to identify him. And I have that picture. I took a picture of him laying, you know, dead on that table because I knew at that very moment, I said, I've got to, I've got to be able to read. I knew right then with my first son, I kind of crawled under a rock. I didn't, I didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't, you know, I, I I was very depressed, but I, I moved on But when it happened again with Justin, I was so much closer to him because of our, you know, he grew up with me and was in my house, you know, up until the day he died. Um, I wanted that picture on my phone and, you know, it sounds crazy, but I have pictures of my son in an athletic uniform, you know, playing baseball and all that. And then I have this picture and I want people to see this is who he was. He was you. He was a high school athlete, loving life, loving sports, loving competition. And then this is where he ended up because he could not make the right decision. And, and you know, if, like I said, if I can save one, I'll move to the next one. But it's, it's very difficult, but it's something that I have to do. My life's mission is now to try to speak to people and make an impact because I don't want this. You know it's going to happen. I mean, there there are you know over a hundred thousand opioid deaths this year or last year. Uh, people are going to die, but we got to try to save the ones we can save. That's that's basically my mission.
0: Is that mission? Is that how you explain here? A mere three weeks after losing Justin, you're able to. Wake up every morning, function, go to press conferences, do your job as 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 normal or as, as normal as you can can can, can get.
1: Oh yeah, uh, when 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 Ryan died, I, I was a basket case, not 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 outwardly. Uh, you know, people did not did not see a change in me or anything. Um, but yeah, the, the, this this I, I I just feel like I I'm a different. Person, I'm still very, I'm still very hurt, and I, I have my moments. Uh, but talking about it, uh, certainly, like with you or with some other people I've talked to, it certainly helps. But, but, but I think if I think I would have a much more difficult time had I done what I did with Ryan. Had I, had I went and hid under a rock and, and just didn't want to talk to people, you know, I didn't want to respond to text messages or emails. You know, I'm so sorry. And and I still love getting those messages but I handle them better. But you're exactly right. That's how I function. I, I was at a signing today and, and the athletic director I mean, basically he was like, I'm glad you're here, but I'm surprised to see you and you know, I looked at him, I said, Hey, you know, life goes on, we gotta we gotta we gotta keep going. Now, tonight at, at eleven thirty or twelve o'clock when it's when it's time to lay my head down, I I have my moments. I will not lie. I have my moments, but but again, I wake up every morning and say, "How can I affect somebody positively today?" And you know, I'm fortunate that I get to coach high school baseball. I'm around 45, 50 kids every day, um, all three levels: B team, JV, varsity. Uh, and and then I've I'm, I'm already lining up some speaking to teams, uh, mostly in the Charleston area for right now, but I will go anywhere. Anybody that listens to your podcast, I will go anywhere at, as soon as I can get there. I don't want money. I'm not trying to get rich off this. I don't want to be paid. I want to just, you know, give my story and lay it out there. And I want to be real. I don't want to sugarcoat it. Uh, I, you know, I've been to speeches like this where where things are kind of sugarcoated. They don't want to offend. I, I'm not worried about offending people whatever I got to say to wake somebody up is what I'll say. And like I said, I have this phone, I have this picture on my phone. And if I feel like I need to show that, you know, I will show it. And I would say, this is, this is, uh, this guy was died of a drug overdose of a heroin overdose. This doesn't need to be you. And, and you don't want your mother or your father to have to show up somewhere and say, yes, that's my son. Or that's my daughter. Um, it's it's not it's not. I will never ever forget that. Uh, I don't know how much longer I have on this earth, but that image will never leave my mind. And I think as long as I remember that image, I'll have the motivation to continue doing what I've what I've set out to do.
0: Where were you and Justin in 2015 when you when you learned Ryan was gone?
1: Um. Justin was, uh, with a friend and I was actually on my way to pick up Ryan. He was at his mother's house and I was going to pick him up. He was going to go do some work with me that day. Um, and we were kind of excited about it cause we hadn't, uh, like I said, I, I didn't see Ryan every single day. Um, uh, there, you know, we'd go months without seeing each other. We might text or whatever because he was doing his own thing out there in the world. Um, but I was, he was going to go help me do some things. So I was going over to his mother's and on my way to pick him up, she called me hysterical. And, uh, and she was like, you know, Ryan's dead on the couch. And, uh, basically what had happened is he had taken a, uh, a opioid pill that night when he went to sleep because he had, his back was hurting and uh, he had, he had a little back issue going on at the time. And, uh, and it was too much of the drug. Uh, he had taken the drug before, but it was too much this time. Like it was supposed to be five milligrams, and I think he took twenty, and uh, and it, it killed him in his sleep. Um, so you know, obviously we had to we had to call family. I have a daughter. I have another son, um, and I had to find Justin. Um, I think he was pretty sure he was at a teammate's house because this was a Saturday morning. And we had just started, Kane Bay had just started preseason practices. So I think he had spent the night with a friend. And so we found him. And um, And Justin was crushed. I mean, well, my whole family was crushed. Uh, like I said, it, it happened that one time. And we, you know, okay, we got through this. Everything's, you know, we're, we're functioning adults again. And then this happens. And, um, you know, my daughter is now my oldest child. She was my second, she's my only daughter. And, she's so strong and she helps me and she has my two grandkids and, uh, she's helped me a tremendous amount, but I know she hurts. Uh, and then my, my other son, Brandon, uh, who is 27 now, um, also a a very good writer, a very, very talented kid. And, um, and I know he's hurting. He doesn't say much. He doesn't talk a lot. He's, he's, he's a little different than his dad. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we're all hurting, and um, but we're all going to get through it, and, you know, both of my kids are very supportive of, of my, what I want to do, um, and, you know, I don't do Facebook, but they do, and they put a bunch of stuff out on their Facebook, and that, that has led to a lot of people contacting me, and, you know, I, I got a call the other night from a lady I, I don't know, and she lost the son a son in March, uh, 30 years old, uh, to alcohol poisoning, and we talked for an hour, just you know, chit chat, just like you and I, you know, I, I told her my story. She told me her story and I think I helped her. I think, I think by the end of the conversation, I think I helped her, but you know what? She helped me too because I was able to talk about it. And um, uh, that's the difference between this one and Ryan is I I would have never had I, had I I been approached by you or Bobby Harton and Charleston or any of these guys that do these podcasts I would have, it, you know, seven years ago, I would have said, "No, I, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, this one, uh, I'm just, I'm approaching it differently because it's got to stop. It's got to stop.
0: So seven, you, so you, you wouldn't have opened up out of shame, out of privacy, what, what, out of what?
1: I think shame, embarrassment. Um, I think, you know, and, and yeah, I, I definitely think it was embarrassment. Um, I was ashamed. I thought I had failed him. Um, even though I had people in my family and, you know, Oh, David, you were a great dad. And, and he said he always loved you. And that's one thing about both of them is you hardly ever ended a conversation without them saying, I love you, dad. And, um, you know, sometimes you hear that and you're just like, well, that's just words, but I really thought they loved me. And, uh, and, but I thought I failed Ryan. I, I was, I was embarrassed. Uh I didn't want to talk to people about it. I, I just wanted it to go away, even though I was still hurting and it was in me. I didn't want to share it, and uh, but that's the difference with Justin is I'm still ashamed that I'm not really ashamed, but it is embarrassing to have to admit that two of your children have overdosed on drugs and died. But it's not the same. It's not the same embarrassment. It's kind of like you know, yeah, this happened to me. Um, and I'm dealing with it and I don't like it and I hope it never happens again, which I, you know, I'm pretty sure it won't with my other two children, but I don't want it to happen to you either. And, and I think I owe it to, to society. I mean, you know, we all have to, we all want to leave our life having made an impact somehow. Um, and this is the way I can make an impact. I just, I just believe that.
0: If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith & Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-350. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. You're mentioning uh, Ryan's back problems at kind of as an entry into an important part of this is, is that so many for so many people who who end up hooked on opioids and heroin, they didn't start by getting high. They started Ron Morris uh, a couple few couple of years ago, the former columnist for the state uh, had him on, on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, he had debilitating back problems, uh, and and developed an addiction to opioids based on what he was prescribed uh, yes. to to, to yes. deal with that pain. And there's so many people that are in that boat who who didn't really make the choice to, who, you know, it didn't start as a recreational thing. And so uh, that's a whole other the whole other side of this is, is that it's not just. Uh, Something that starts with drinking or smoking weed or whatever that that people are trying to manage their pain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and Ryan was in that boat. Ryan uh, Justin physically was fine. Uh, Ryan had a back issue. Uh, He had been examined. He'd went to doctors. They'd put him on drugs uh, to help the pain. Um, uh, It was was like a spine thing. Um, But 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 eventually, I think what I, I don't know the exact details but he became so dependent on those drugs the doctors basically said listen we got to back you off." they saw i guess his doctor saw hey you're 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 asking for refills way too soon kind of thing um so when they try to wean him off and say you know we're not giving you another prescription until 30 days is up you know then i think he looked elsewhere and that's where it started he, he you know I mean, I'll be honest, Larry, you can get on Facebook right now. You can find drugs if you want. You can get on Instagram. You can find them. And he went on Facebook and said, you know, knew some people. He was kind of in, he knew some people in that world. And this guy's like, hey, you need to take this, you know, for 20 bucks. This this will make your back feel better. It'll help you sleep. And so that's how that became an issue with Justin. I think it became recreational, but I think he was hurting. I think he had pain inside from the. From just life, you know, life was just getting to him, and uh, you know his brother dying and losing jobs, and it just became, uh, it became like you and I wake up every morning and drink a cup of coffee and start planning our day. Okay, I'm going to interview David on my podcast, or or I'm going to go to this signing. I'm going to go talk to this guy. Justin woke up saying, "All right, I got to find twenty dollars. I got to find twenty dollars because I got to get high." And it was twenty dollars. I mean, mm. people think, "Oh my God, he's on heroin." He's spending, you know, you got it. it don't, you could get a week's worth of heroin for a hundred bucks, but he just needed it for a couple of days, and then it would come back, and he would need it again. And that's that's how he woke up every day. The last two years of his life was, I got to get high. I, I got to get. I gotta. I gotta get through this, and uh, and unfortunately. Uh, he just never could stop. I mean it just it just took control of his life.
0: did either of them ever go to treatment?
1: Uh, Ryan did a little bit, but walked out, and Justin refused to go uh, and because he was an adult uh, we 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 tried to get to hospital to because he'd been in the hospital a couple of times with, with uh, injuries and he poking needles in the veins and stuff, and they said hey, we can't we can 't do it. Uh, I was in the process of going to a court. Uh, unfortunately, COVID uh, slowed back everything in courts, but I was trying to get medical power of attorney where I could make the medical decisions for him because the hospital said he's not capable of making the right decisions medically. Uh, if I could have gotten that in time, uh, I could have had him, a judge would have been put him in rehab. But again, I stress this, the heroin addiction I mean, rehab may have helped, but you got to change so much of the mind and, and it's just so bad. And, uh, I just think, you know, the prevention, the don't ever start message is the, is the best message. I just, you know, find, find an outlet, find somebody to talk to, you know, don't start heroin or opioids because they will, they will wreck your life. And, uh, it's just so hard to come back from it. Um, and But Justin just didn't have the will to fight it. And, and you know, I love the kid to death, but I, it, I'm so frustrated and angry sometimes that he was so weak, you know, that he couldn't, that he wouldn't do this. Um, you know, he always said, I'm never going to let your mom go through what you did with Ryan. And, and, and I reminded him of this. Every day for two years, I was like, you promised me I would not have to experience this. Dad, I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to die. Don't worry about it. Uh, but but there was no question in my mind the last three or four months uh, that 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 I was going to get a knock on the door. I, I, I just knew where he was at. And I even told my ex-wife, his mother, I was like, we need to prepare ourselves. This is not going to end well. Uh, because he had totally given up any, any effort to get better, and uh, and sure enough, you know it's. I got home from a high school basketball game, I'm writing a story at my desk in my house, and I hear knocking on the door, it's like 1030, I'm like, okay, who's knocking on my door? And it was the coroner and an officer, and when I opened the door, I was like, you gotta be kidding me, and he was like, yeah, are you Justin Shelton's dad? And I'm like, I know why you're here, and they were like, well, how do you know? I was like, this is the second time it's happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they were just like, Oh wow. Uh, okay. We didn't, we didn't realize, you know, and I was like, listen, don't worry about it. Um, so we went through the details. They said, can you come, you know, can you come, you know, make sure it's him. And I'm like, Oh, I'm pretty sure it's him. Um, you know, but, but it didn't make it any easier. But, uh, you know, but I guess in a sense I had prepared myself for the inevitable, um, you know, but, but it was still quite a uh, a shock, you know, because you have that you have that guy that you used to go to dinner with, or you know, you you know, they wake up in the morning and he drank all your coffee, and you're mad because you got no more coffee, and he's like, "Oh, my bad, Dad," and and now I have plenty of coffee, like I always have coffee, and because he's not there to drink it, so I miss that, I miss that uh, that kind of that frustration, I miss all that. It sounds crazy. But uh, it was just my way of life, you know, our daily argument over, you know, I can't believe you ate all the bread. <laughs> you know, what were you doing last night eating all the bread? I need some toast in the morning. And, you know, and he'd be like, he would always be like, oh, my bad, my bad. <laughs> just like, you know, I miss those days. But uh, but I honestly, he's out of pain because he was really in a lot of pain uh, emotionally and, and deep down. And he is out of that so I, I, a selfish part of me wants him back, but in the grand scheme of things, he's better off not going through that life anymore. Yeah, I want him back, but but I understand that things are better for him, for his soul, um, you know, and, and, and it's better for me because I'm able to do what I'm doing now. Um, you know, talk to you and talk to people. Uh, just share my story make an impact if I can and 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 just go day to day see where it goes up ends up
0: you mentioned that with Ryan uh y'all administered some tough love i guess sending him to you said a juvenile yep, um, juvenile detention, detention. Yep. what what is your i mean obviously there there's nothing close to a perfect answer uh in in situations like that i'm just curious how you look back at that approach in hindsight.
1: Yeah, that's that's tough because I, t- I totally treated Justin differently. Um, now, I, I was still very, uh, you know, I don't want to say strict or hard, but, I mean, uh, he always knew where I came from and what, what, what I thought was right and wrong. And, uh, you know, and I used what i learned, the lessons I learned from Ryan was, you know, I thought, I thought at first that I that I had done wrong, that, that, you know, maybe we shouldn't have done what we did with that situation. Um, but the more I, the more I analyzed it later, um, you know, I, I don't think that led to increased drug use because I, I think that he just had a problem. Um, again, you know, I've said it, a couple times, they weak mentally and, and just not able to to handle stuff that uh, that come before them, and uh, and I think the back issue really really took hold of him. Um, but you know, I yeah, I, I I'd always I'd always wondered if I if we did the right thing when he was fifteen. I think he's fifteen or sixteen when we did that, and uh, you know, he did come out a different person um, for a while. Uh, you know, very productive, and 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 you know, like I said, he was always you know, a pretty good kid, and um, you know, he's very smart. Um, he just didn't utilize his ability, but I mean, he was the kind of kid that could, for whatever reason, I don't even know, but he, he could take a computer apart and put it back together like, like. Like, I, I, I couldn't even imagine I, I, the things he could do with a computer in terms of repairing them and fixing them. I don't know where he learned that. Maybe he learned his <laughs> jubilee, I don't know. Um, but he was really smart. And that's, that's, what, made it, that's what made it frustrating with Ryan was, was that he was a smart kid and he had a lot of potential. Um, he just chose to do things his own way. Um, you know, again, after he became an adult, he became, uh, he just marched to the beat of his own drum. And, um, you know, he wasn't as dependent on me as Justin was, because like I said, Justin, you know, all, you know, other than moving out for months, of, a couple of months at a time, you know, Justin pretty much was with me, Ryan, uh, and I'm, you know, time his early twenties, he was, he was out like he was on his own doing his own thing, um Justin was a lot more dependent on me. Um and and I, I will say that because of what happened with Ryan, I was kind of dependent on Justin, you know. Um you know, I was I was living alone. Um uh, having him there, you know, was really good for me. Even though we <laughs> late late in the late time we, we we'd argue and you know, fuss and fight and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but I I enjoyed having him around me a lot of times, uh, because of the relationship I had with Ryan was, it wasn't strained. It was just that, you know, kind of like, like all adults, you know, they move on with their life and they see their parents, you know, at holidays or they talk to them or whatever. Ryan was not dependent on me to survive day to day. And I felt like, I kind of took Justin like he needed me and I needed him um, because he was my, my, my youngest son. Um, So I I think in a sense, that's kind of how that evolved. That's why I treated Justin differently um, than I did Ryan. Um, But that was, that was also the way Ryan wanted to be treated. And like I said, Justin was very dependent on me. So she wanted that that relationship to be the way it was um, until the very end. And then Justin just kind of went out on his own and said, I don't want to be a burden anymore. And, um, you know, was living in a tent city behind the Walmart and living in a tent and with some drug addicts and some military veterans that had no home, a lot of homeless people. And the, the thing about Justin's situation was he didn't have to be homeless uh, because my home was was open. Like I wanted him there. Uh, I still felt like I could save him somehow. But, uh, but I think now looking back there, I, I I realized in my own mind that I wasn't going to save him. Um, the last six months, uh, he really deteriorated and, um, it was sort of selfish of me to think that I could have saved him. Um, because, Lord knows we tried everything and it just, none of it worked.
0: So when he was living with you and you knew he had a bad problem was, how did you like leave the house? I guess maybe worried what he might steal. I mean, what was that like?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and he stole from his grandmother. He stole from his mom. Um, I literally, Larry slept every night with my wallet under my pillow. So if uh, I got to where I would never carry cash ever, uh, I never had a dollar, never had cash on me. Uh, I would sleep with my wallet under my pillow so he couldn't get my debit card uh, because we'd had an experience with that before where he'd been mowed money off my debit card to a dealer. And uh, yeah, so it was, you know, I, 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 he stole lawnmowers, um, you know, lawn equipment, you know, would just show up at a pawn shop you know, so he could get a fix. So it was, it was very stressful. Um, not just for me, but for other members of the family, uh, because he needed, he did not want to steal, uh, but because he could not keep a job, he could not keep an income. Then he needed to get high. So he resorted to that. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was very difficult. Uh, I hated, uh, like you said, you know, if I had to go cover a game or something and that he was here, I'd just be like, Oh God, you know, what's gonna, what's gonna be here when I get back. Um, but a lot of times when I would leave, I would, he would be with me and I'd drop him off places. Um, he would not, cause he really didn't like being alone here by himself. Um, but, but there was those situations that, that, that my total, like even now, uh, he's been gone three weeks, and 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 for for the first week, I had the habit was I was still putting my wallet under my pillow, mm. and and and, and then I finally like I was like what what am I doing like I'm okay now like he's not gonna take it so it was just it became such a habit uh, of just making sure everything was you know quote unquote tied down where it couldn't walk um, you know I, I would hide I have two laptops uh, one that I one that I rarely use. It's a Chromebook um, that was given to me for a father's day by my other son. And I basically hid that because I was afraid I'd come home and it'd be gone. And, and, you know, he could get a couple hundred dollars for it and, and get high. And, um, but yeah, a lot of stuff that I was doing, uh, I, I don't have to do anymore. Uh, and, and like, I used to worry, like I said, uh, the coffee. You know, he'd drink the Kira cup, my last Kira cup. Well, I have so much coffee now, I don't know what to do with, it because he's not drinking it. And um, and and he was man, he loved coffee. So he would drink. You know, I drink decaf because of my kidney issues. I'm a I'm, I'm caffeine free. So, you know, he would he would just drink it and and just be up all night, like like that. His sleep patterns were unbelievable because of the drugs. Um, and heroin is the drug that will knock you out. It will make you sleep. Uh, and that's why I even asked him one day, I said, why, why, why heroin? Why, why not, you know, meth or whatever? He goes, well, meth jacks you up and makes you go hundred miles an hour. He goes, I don't want that. He goes, I want to just, I just want to lay down and, and, and go into euphoria or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and, and that's what it did to him. Um, so a lot of times if I leave here and he'd be asleep in his room or on the couch, I, I would assume that he was, had gotten high and he wasn't going to wake up anyway for, you know, for 12 hours or whatever it is. Um, but like I said, a lot of times if I left, I would be like, Hey, you want me to drop you off somewhere? You know, you really, the, when you're looking back at it, it's like, what a, what a weird way to live. Like you, you, you got to sleep with your wallet under your pillow. That's ridiculous but I'm I'm serious. Other people are having to do the same thing. I'm not, I'm not a unique person. There are people that are going through what I went through that are, you know, if they hear this, they're going to be like, Oh my God, you know, I did the same thing. And it's just, they, they don't realize, although I think my son at the end did realize that he was affecting other people's lives in a very negative way. It's not, they're selfish in that. Hey, I just want to get high. I just want to be left alone, but they don't, a lot of times they don't realize what they're doing to others i think ryan i think justin did at the end um you know i i think that's why he left in november and and said i don't want to be a burden anymore i'm gonna go try this on my own and i'm like dude you're sleeping in a tent by a campfire in the woods and it's like 28 degrees that's not proving that you can do it on your own you need to You need to get a job and get an apartment. And, you know, I tried to try that angle with him. Um, But he was back there with people. I met those people. I went back there after he died and I announced to all of them, you know, Justin is dead. And, you know, a lot of people were upset and a lot of people. uh, One lady came to me and she said, you know what? She goes, he always said he made a mistake that he didn't belong here. And we kept telling him, go home. Your dad, you have a place. And she was very upfront with me. Um, she said uh, two weeks before he died that he had overdosed at the camp. And they had Narcan, which is provided by the police. They, they provide these little communities with Narcan because they know that people are doing drugs. They don't want people to die. Uh, but that he had overdosed and they had Narcan and they brought him back. And she said, did you know that? And I was like, I saw him every day. He never, I always say, how are you doing? He goes, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And she's like, no, he he, he was over, He was dying. And I was like, he never even hinted to me. Had I known that, like if he had got in my car one day and said, oh, by the way, last night I overdosed, I mean, I would have probably did something very drastic. Like I would have probably drove to a local jail and said, y'all lock him up. Like I, I, I can't, you know, but he didn't. And he didn't try to burden me with it. Uh, which which kind of tells who he was. He was he was a very loving person. He he loved his family, loved people, but he didn't want me to worry um, uh, about him being out there. But like I said earlier, I I just knew the the end was near. Uh, I didn't know about that situation, but I knew the way he was going um, and just his refusal to come home, um, just to sleep for one night just sleep on the couch when it's cold. Just, you know, I, I would tell him just, just, just walk up. It was just walk up or call me. I'll come get you or whatever. Uh, but he would always call and want money. He would not call them when to come home. He would say, dad, can you just spot me 20 bucks so I can, you know, eat for the next couple of days. And I'm like, Justin, I know what you're using this money for. Like I'll feed you. I'll bring you whatever you want, but I'm not giving you money. And, uh, uh, apparently he was getting money somehow, uh, panhandling or, or you know begging or whatever. But he got enough money to to kill himself that night. So yeah, he just didn't get it from me.
0: Why do you think he told the folks in the tent city that he he didn't belong there?
1: I, I think he I think he thought it was a cool idea at first. Um, and the way the lady explained it, she said he was very uh, quiet which was not his personality when he was, in you know, he was always very outgoing. But she said he would just sit around the fire and people would talk about their life. And, you know, there, there'd be uh, Iraq war veterans who lost everything and they were living and they would tell stories about fighting in Iraq and, and the other people were drug addicts and how, you know, they couldn't go home. And, and, and when he would talk, he would just be like, Man, he goes. I, I don't. I don't think I belong here. He goes. I, I think I made a mistake. And and just sh- this, this lady Samantha said that's when we all kind of like, well, dude, go home. Like you don't have to be here. We're here because we have no choice. We don't have family like that that can help us. But you do. You need to go home. And he just, uh, you know, I I think he. I think the dependency on me, I think it wore on him. I think he, you know, you know, like, like anybody else, you know, um, you know, I, 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 you know, compare it to, I was a sports writer at one time. I went to the college level and I wanted back to sports. I I wanted to go back home. And so I did. And he just couldn't, I guess he just couldn't bring himself to admitting to me that, that, you know, his idea had failed, which, you know, it's ridiculous now that you think about it and it makes me angry and i get very frustrated when i think about what what he could have done uh even if he was still doing drugs i could have helped him here and could have continued the fight and uh but i can't continue the fight anymore because he's not here and i really think down deep he just wanted if he was going to die he just wanted to be alone like he didn't want Uh, you know, to be around me if it happened, you know, for me to find him because my ex-wife, Ryan's mother found him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think he got really stuck in his head that, that it really affected his mother. Uh, And I think he just didn't want to be found. You know, if a, if a, if a EMS technician or a, a cop or somebody at that camp that he wasn't really close to, if they found him dead, I think he'd be, in a weird sense. I mean, I'm rationalizing this. I don't know. I'm I'm just talking out of my head. But I think he just—that's the way he wanted to go. He didn't want to me to walk into a room and say, "Hey, wake up. Let's go get some breakfast at Waffle House," because he loved Waffle House. And uh, and that he did. And I found him dead. I, I don't think he wanted to to do that to me. That's that's my rationalization for it. I don't know that, but I kind of think that's the way it was leaning.
0: When he was staying with you, and when he was using, when he was a threat to steal from you, did you have loved ones and others say, what are you doing? Why are you sheltering this guy? Are you sort of oh, co- oh, co-depe- oh. codependency and all yeah, that stuff. Absolutely. Like you said, the natural is very natural and it's very common uh, Yeah, uh, to do the that. Na-
1: the, you know, as a parent, uh, oh yeah, I, I had family members... Um, my other two children were were they 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 were great. They love me. They're they're great kids. But my daughter is very opinionated and very outspoken. And she was like, "You're enabling him. You're enabling him. You gotta." And I was like, "No, I, he's my son, and I love him like I love you." And I I I alienated in a sense Ryan, and I I don't want to do that to Justin. I want to do, and she you know she was very adamant. Uh, you know. She she come and talked to him one day when I wasn't here and she laid it on him and uh he just was oblivious to it. You know, she said he just stared at me and wouldn't argue, wouldn't comment, you know, just let her say her piece and then, you know, she left and she said, You know, Dad, you you just can't keep enabling and I, I, I could not live with the fact. Even when he went to the to the tent city uh man, it was hard. It was just hard. and I and I told my daughter and, and I was like I, I told my other son I I was like, I, I I'm having a hard time with this and she said, Daddy's an adult. You know, she's got all the sense in the family and, and he's making this choice. You gotta live your life. You know, you got your own issues. You need to you need to make sure you're okay and whatever happens, happens. You know, not that she wanted it to happen, but I yeah, I had a lot of family saying, you know, you know, Kick him out, you know. I I couldn't do it. I I, I uh, you know, looking back, had I done it earlier, you know, he would have probably died earlier, um, because he just was not self sufficient, and and he, and like I said, he was weak, and and he just kind of let things dictate him. Um, but but because of my relationship with Ryan over the last two years of his life. Uh, I didn't want that same relation. I tried to do things differently and, and unfortunately that didn't work either. So <laughs> if anybody's got the yeah. the way to do it, yeah. you know, send me that book cause I need to read it. But There's uh, no book. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. there is, there is no book. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you try to lean on your faith a little bit and you, and you try to, you know, figure out ways to get through it. Um, but like I said earlier, the, the way I'm gonna get through this is by trying to help others. And, um, you know, there's there so many stories I could tell about Justin and and, and Ryan, to be honest with you, but, but a lot of Justin's stuff, because again, he was with me pretty much for the last, uh, you know, 15 years of his life or so. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's kinda, but to answer your question, yeah, the, uh, There were some family members that were not real happy with me, but I didn't care. I was like, this is my son. You know, I love all y'all and y'all love me, but I got to do this. And uh, it didn't work. And I'm sure some of them were, you know, under their breath saying, see, I told you it wasn't going to work, but I had to try. You know, that's just, that was just the way I had to do it.
0: So basically, and tell me if I'm getting this right or wrong, after the tough love approach, with Ryan, alienated him, and, and and didn't work. You sort of the correction, possibly overcorrection, yep. was to go to the other extreme and uh, to 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 love Justin and to shelter him. When when you know maybe the clinical analysis of it is, hey, he's an adult. Let him make his own decisions. Whatever.
1: Yeah, and that, and I think you know I I I definitely think that. I made some mistakes, um, and <laughs> the uh, the fact that he was an adult, uh, you know, this his decision make it, it's just it was just it's hard to explain um, how immature he was. Uh, you know, he was mature in some areas, but in terms of like life decisions, he was very immature. It was like like a fourteen year old all all the time. And, and I just felt like I had to shelter him and try to guide him. Um, and he was very responsive to everything except getting treatment, except rehab, you know, he, he, he would help me do whatever I needed to do and until the last year. And the last year is just when it went, when it went haywire, but, um, but up to that point, you know, we, other than me, you know, begging him, please don't go get high and, and, you know, please don't do drugs and, and all that other stuff. Uh, It was, it was a pretty, it was pretty good uh, relationship. You know, we'd go to Braves games and me and my other son and, uh, you know, spend a weekend in Atlanta and watch Braves and, you know, have a good time. But, but it's like when he came back, uh, the next thing he would do is, you know, in his mind, I got to go get high, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we're, and unfortunately, whatever method I would try, I mean, I tried to get him. I actually tried to get him arrested, and I mean, I tried. I called the police and said, "Hey, my son's high, and, and I, I want you to take it." He's like, "Well, does he have drugs on him?" And I'm like, "No, he's I got him in him," yeah. and he's like, "Well, we can't arrest the guy for getting high once it's already in." And, you know, I tried. I, I I felt like if I could get him locked up, yep, you know, maybe he could go through the withdrawals in jail and come out and be okay but as I've learned as I said as I've learned researching this over the last three weeks uh, you know Google's a great thing by the way and uh, I've just found that heroin addicts it's very 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 hard to, to kick it and stay off it and uh, that doesn't excuse it I, I, I wanted to try it and uh, but but he just would not do it he just wouldn't do it
0: Ryan's ashes, he was a Clemson fan, and his ashes are buried right there by the hill uh, at Death Valley? Ryan,
1: Ryan's, uh, yeah, that, that tree on my Twitter uh, is right outside the hill. It's across the street, you know, where they run down the hill, yeah. but across the street, there's a little gathering area. And I actually, uh, there's a bush there, and, and I put some in Lake Hartwell. And, and then I took some and I actually, there was a security guard there and I paid him $20 to turn his head for a few minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and he did, he took the $20 and, uh, and they turned his head and I, I jumped in there and I had people looking at me like, what is this guy doing? And, uh, and I dug a, a little hole and, and I buried some ashes there and it was very therapeutic and, uh, but he was, he was, uh, he was in a Ryan was an obnoxious Clemson fan. I mean, it was like, if Clemson wins, give Dabo a raise. If they lose, he's got to go. He's go. It, just not <laughs> the answer. You know, I mean, he was like what you read on Twitter. And, uh, you know, the, the happiest I've ever seen him uh, was the LSU Bowl game. I guess that was the Peach Bowl. When when they beat LSU, that fourth down pass from Taj Boyd to Sammy Watkins. Uh, my son was, we were all watching it in my living room and Ryan literally lost it. And then when they kicked that field goal, he ran in that yard up the street, you know, waving his Clemson flag. I mean, he was, I mean, you know, he was, (laughs) he had it bad. And, uh, and you know, that was during the, uh, you know, the, the streak of South Carolina beating Clemson, you know, five in a row or whatever. Um, and since he died, Clemson has not lost to South Carolina. And I kind of, in my own way, uh, say, yeah, Brian said it. Brian said he's never going to let it happen again. i eventually say, well, I'm sure. But, uh, but he, was, he was a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, a huge Braves fan, and a huge Clemson fan. And, uh, I mean, he lived and died for Saturday afternoons. And, and I, I took him to a Clemson game when he was eight years old. I, I, well, he might not have been eight. But it was the year that Steve Tannehill, Hill. I don't even know if you remember this, but yep. Tannehill Hill signed the Paul kind of thing. You know, went out to the Paul at midfield and did his little thing. You know, when they beat they beat Clemson and just and Ryan was at that game. God, he was young, uh, but he about lost it like. Like he was all the way home. He was like, "I hope that Tanny Hill guy never wins another game in his life." And you know, he goes, "He shouldn't have." I mean, he was. I mean, to to the day he uh, and I. I know Steve Tanny Hill, you know, because he became a high school coach. And I tell Steve that story, and I was like, "You know, Steve, you're a great coach, and everything, but my son, he would he would not pee on you if you were on fire." And uh, and I was like, "All because of that." And he laughed, and you know, but. But that's, that was Ryan's indoctrination in the Clemson games. And, and he just, uh, I don't know how many, he went to a few games over the years, but he'd watch it on TV. And, and if he was working, he'd have it on the phone or or, or his radio or whatever. Uh, but Justin was a Clemson fan, but not a huge fan. Like, like you know, if he had something else to do, he wasn't going to sit and watch a game. Um, uh, but, but Ryan was, whew. Yeah, he was, he was, he, I mean, I used to always tell Ryan, I was like, Ryan, we can't fire the football coach after every loss. Like, you can't do that. That's not the way it works. He's like, well, I'm just saying the direction of the program's not good. And then they beat LSU and he goes, you know, they probably should give Dabo a raise. And I'm like, dude, you wanted to fire him a week ago, you know, but, but that, that's a typical young Clemson fan. You know, I, I always tease myself that if he were alive today, he would be early thirties now. Um. You know, he'd probably be more mature about it, and then I laugh and I'm like, no, he wouldn't <laughs> You know, he, if he if he were alive today and had Twitter, I'd have to block him because he would. I'd just be like, dude, you can't. You know, that's not the way the world works. And uh, but he's very happy wherever he is that that, that Clemson has not lost to South Carolina since he died. So uh, I actually I actually emailed Davo about that, uh, and and he emailed me back and was thought it was very cool and i was like you know in my in my son's memory man don't ever lose <laughs> again. and they haven't uh i don't think he remembers that but uh but but they haven't so I'm, I'm gonna stick with that story
0: david shelton uh i admire your your courage uh, a lot of other people do as well and uh man really appreciate you giving your time and and, and sharing with, with, every, with us and, and everybody else
1: well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, and and I've told many people whatever opportunity I have to try to help people, and you know, hopefully somebody will hear this, and and uh, you know, they'll they'll shed a tear and they'll chuckle and they'll and they but, but somebody will be affected, and that's all we can do in life is is try to be a positive influence the best we can. So I definitely appreciate your opportunity.
0: All right, appreciate David sharing and, and just really bearing it all for us, uh, I think going to be helpful for listeners. I think probably also help for, helpful for David himself. Some therapy for sure, I think, just just in sharing. appreciate, as always, the support of our very generous sponsors for helping make this happen. And, of course, most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play. We'll be back very soon. Everybody have a great rest of the week and weekend. Cheers.